This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Right here. Hi. Okay, welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah, overlooking the Temple Mount here in uh, the old city of Jerusalem. In today's class, we're going to talk about uh, just a little iceberg commandment. You know, the first commandment in the Torah is the commandment of be fruitful and multiply. You know why God made that the first commandment? Because he figured when you'd read that one, you'd keep reading. <laughs> now, it's a cute little commandment. Looks sweet, feels good. Who could complain? Be fruitful and multiply. Well, turns out that it's what you call an iceberg commandment. An iceberg commandment is a you know, cute little commandment that's sticking up over the water. You know, if this is the water surface and you, know, you got yourself a little iceberg coming over the top. It's a cute little iceberg. Be fruitful and multiply. That looks like fun. Yeah? Except underneath is like thousands of meters of, of mountain. And, and this is one of God's ways of giving our lives deep, deep meaning. Because, you know, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but have you ever had this thought that life's totally meaningless? You ever had that thought? Yeah, that life's meaningless? Because it truly is. I mean, it, life is, ultimately. It's really meaningless, and, and you, it's up to you to just be experiential. Because you're either going to make meaning out of life, or you're going to experience life. But life doesn't need your meaning. Meaning, if, I, if you're sitting in front of one of your parents, especially the one that's harder for you to deal with, you make a lot of meaning out of that experience. And it's, it doesn't need you. Just, just stare at your father or mother's face and... And just freak out on the fact that this person's your parent. And it doesn't need all the meaning you'd have around it. You know, this is coming from someone who for 18 years got off my, the phone with my father in about, you know, five seconds. You know, it was something like this. You know, because some parents make you feel like you're nine years old. Now, how long are you going to spend on the phone with someone who makes you feel like you're nine years old? Now, the truth is he was just offering unsolicited advice. He was just, he was only giving me all that advice because he loves me. But I didn't get that. All I heard was like, you're a nine-year-old little boy. and you know. So my phone calls were like, hello, yeah, it's really bad timing. Can't speak now. I'll try to call you later. Click. For 18 years. Is that called taking responsibility for your life? No, that's called living inside a story, the nine-year-old little boy story. Is that my father's story or my story? That's my story. If I put it on my father, as I'm sure I told several therapists over the years, if I put it on my father, which if you're paying the therapist, of course they're going to stamp it, you know. If I put it on my father, so then it's his responsibility. He should have been a better father. But in fact, my father's an amazing father. He's a little one-track mind on the discussion. And of course, giving me advice about things that I don't understand. You know, I just, it's like Chinese to me when he, when he gives me advice. Nevertheless, he's only calling me because he loves me. I mean, when's the last time my father called you, Josh? Never. Why does this man in California keep phoning me? He <laughs> gives me all kinds of advice. That one, makes no sense to me. And two, I have people hired doing this for me. Like, so whatever, the reason I hire people for this is because it doesn't make sense to me. And anything that doesn't make sense to you, you don't figure it out, you hire people. Okay? And everyone should learn that lesson quick is that you want to make a lot of money one day, if not already now, if you want to make a lot of money today, is start hiring people to do your work, that you, of the stuff you're not good at, 
and you do, you do what you are good at. And they get very impressed that you have all these people working for you. And meanwhile, they have no idea there's no capital in the company at this point, and you are struggling a bit to pay everybody. But you make a hell of a lot more money with that staff after a half a year. So you're saying, well, how am I going to pay for half a year? And the answer is, get a loan. Just go to the bank. Any bank will loan you 20 grand, you know, totally unsecured. It's not like they want collateral for a 20 grand loan. It's a joke for them. So you borrow the 20 grand, you pay a couple of people, a couple of people like some kids out of school who are desperate and have good degrees in fields you know nothing about, and you pay them. And you know what will happen in, in six months? Not only we have paid off their loan, not only have you fed these people with the money you gave them, you yourself will have made 10 times more money than you will ever make by the end of that half a year. You know, Van Gogh was a good idiot to talk about here. Genius in art, but an idiot. And he, you know, he sold his first painting in the last year of his life. You want to be that guy? You want to be the guy who, who never was able to monetize his contribution to the world? That's, that's, so you don't have to be that guy. Just go borrow money from a bank and, and get people working for you to do all the stuff you're not good at. Instead of struggling to study, and of course they brainwash us that we have to go to university and learn a bunch of things we're not good at and not interested in, and pay these incredible loans for, you know, to these ba these banking institutions. You know, the whole thing's a business. Stay out of there. I personally dropped out of school when I was 11 years old, and notice I'm the one standing in the front of the class right now. Okay, I didn't I didn't see a classroom from 11 years old until I was 23, and was in my first Torah class here at Asha Torah in 1991. You see who's standing in the front of the class now. <laughs> I'm just messing with you guys. I mean, I'm serious. <laughs> you are coming to hear what I have to say. But the, uh, but I'm just messing around talking about such things. Okay. Now, the... Our subject is be fruitful and multiply. Uh -huh. A cute commandment. So you get married because you're not going to raise you're not going to raise kids single, you know, single parents. You know, no offense, and all the honor to every single parent, any single parent doing it. Like I, I, my hats off to them. I mean, it's incredible what they're doing, and they're and they're in a task that's just beyond belief. But it's uh, but no one's going to go into that, you know, to begin with. That's when things didn't work out. You know, we're we're all on the we're on the pre side. So the pre side, we want to have a spouse for this. Now, um, which is also really great because, you know, having a soulmate is, you know, the, one of the greater things that will ever happen in someone's life. So it's good to have someone as a soulmate. But what happens is those kids start coming. And when those kids start coming, well, you've got to pay for them, which means you're going to have to be working. And it automatically sends you out. Now, traditionally, it sent the man out. Today, it also sends women out. But uh, my focus is more on it sending the men out. Why? Because uh, women have meaning already inherent to their lives. Men have more of that meaninglessness. Women have meaning built in. And the built in is, is heavy responsibility in child uh, bearing and child rearing. Child bearing and child rearing is an extreme responsibility. And you'll always find quality of life and responsibility are going to be directly correlated. Like the more responsibility you take on, the more meaning you'll have, the more, the more amazing your life will be. And, and you always know that the, the teenager or a guy in his 20s who's still flaking out, you know, he's still, like, avoiding responsibility, has he, he feels dead inside. He just feels dead inside. Like, like someone pulled out the plug, 
He has trouble motivating really for anything, that person. Whereas someone else who, as Jordan Peterson likes to always say, faces the dragon, meaning he goes and slays dragons and, and, uh, and deals with responsibility, those people have amazing lives. I can tell you for sure in my own life, the more responsibility I take on, the more amazing my life, the more rich it is, the more difficult it is, the more chaos, but the, definitely the, the more richness. And, and that's how you win. That's how you win. Now, God wants us to win. And so he makes it obligatory to be fruitful and multiply. You want to hear something bizarre? Oh, Mechel, I'd love to get two of those. Uh, you want to hear something bizarre? Guess what? The commandment of be fruitful and multiply is not incumbent upon women. Well, that's interesting. Isn't that interesting? It, the commandment of being fruitful and multiply is incumbent upon the man. The man's the one who has to do this. Now, good luck doing it without a woman. I mean, you're going to need a woman for that. But, but, it's, but it's upon us. Why is it upon us? So there's different answers given. One of the answers is given is you can't command, something, someone, you can't command someone something that could take their life. Women, thank you so much. Oh, ato adunai. Uh, women can lose their lives in childbirth and you can't command someone something that they could potentially lose their life. You know, like for example, circumcision is on the eighth day, but if the baby's not strong enough for the eighth day, we, we push it off till the baby's strong enough. If Shabbos is, if someone could potentially lose their life on Shabbos unless we break Shabbos, and get them to a hospital via a vehicle or some other means, that would be breaking Shabbos. So we break Shabbos. Life always comes before the commandments, except for the big three. You, you know the big three? The big three is murder, meaning you, you take a bullet before you kill someone else. Uh, the other is idolatry. You take a bullet before you serve an idol. And the third is... Is uh, yeah, adultery is you take a bullet. Women don't have to take a bullet for this because they can be passive in that situation. But a man has to take a bullet before he um, before he does anything that's forbidden in the Torah. Um, if someone wants to force him, it's very interesting. On yesterday's class, because yesterday we discussed sexuality in detail on the circumcision class, and it's funny that men willingly are doing what they would have to take a bullet for. <laughs> which is really crazy like you, you know we're far from our path if people are doing willingly what Judaism says you have to take a bullet for you know we, we've really lost it anyway back to our subject and by the way one of the things you have to take a bullet for is not is not cohabitating with a single woman that's not one of them so which is I'm just saying like men who are doing other funky stuff they're the ones who are should be taking a bullet rather than doing what they've been doing willingly. Now, um, so, so the, another reason why the women are not commanded, commanded is because it's, it's kind of built into them to do this. Whereas a man would likely rather not. Men are scared to death of responsibility and we'd rather not deal with it. So we're the ones commanded to do it. We have to do it which is kind of bizarre that men have to do this. Um, there's another issue is are Gentiles commanded to do it? So God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. So it sounds like Gentiles are commanded to do it. Yet when you look into the uh, seven mitzvahs of the Gentiles, the seven mitzvahs of the children of Noah, it's not listed. It's not one of them. So it could be that a Gentile man 
can skip having kids. Whereas a Gentile Jew, whereas, whereas a Jew, <laughs> whereas a Jew cannot skip that commandment. He has to get it done. Now, to fulfill the commandment specifically, you have to have a boy and a girl. It's not enough to have a girl. And it's not enough to have a boy. You have to have at least a boy and a girl. And another interesting thing is they have to survive you. Now, there's something called mortality rate. And there's no givens that they're going to survive you. For that reason, people might want to have more than just a boy and a girl just to ensure their situation that if, God forbid, they were to lose a kid, they've got some left over to die with at least a boy and a girl with a heartbeat still beating. So to fulfill this command, it's a weird one. You don't fulfill it till you die because you have to die while they're still alive, which is really interesting. Really interesting. We're not going to go into the deep stuff on that part. Yes? So then what happens if someone, God doesn't bless him or her with kids? Him. Him. Okay. She doesn't have to have kids. Um, what if he dies without having kids? Or like those He's just showing up without that commandment. I don't, I don't know how busted he is. I, best, I mean, I, as much as he ran away from it, he's busted. As much as it was circumstantial that he missed it, so he missed it. You know, it's like a guy who was raised in Siberia and never heard of tefillin. So he gets upstairs. God's like, what's with tefillin? He'll say, like, you're asking me? I mean, you're the God. You know I never heard of the thing. And so God said, okay, come on in. Whereas uh, a guy who's like, you know, the Chabadniks down to the culture, like, want to put on tefillin? You know, the answer is yes. Yes. Do I really want to hang out with you? No. But will I put on your tefillin? I guess so. You know, quickly, please. You know, put the black boxes on, take the black boxes off. But you don't want to, it's just, you don't want to show up upstairs and have to see that guy again. You know, they're like, God's like, can we just review this little segment? And, you know, there's the Chabad guy with the beard. Tefillin? Like, no thank you. I think I would, seriously, I think I'm like, I'm like emotionally damaged by the, me being asked to be put on, that someone should put me in tefillin. There were, the, there were these Chabad guys where I grew up in West LA that were part of UCLA campus. And in the rare event that was once every two years that I had to be there for something, they would always try to put me in tefillin. And if somehow they remembered me, which is like a little eerie. Like no one else remembers me from two years ago, having seen me once. You know, and they also remember that I declined, you know, and they're like, because they're like, maybe this time. And I haven't seen this guy in two years. And like, are you like sleeping about like, is, is, do you have a picture of me on your ceiling or something when you go to sleep at night and you just dream about this? You know, like, anyway, but I feel like I need a therapist for this. I think one time I did actually give in which was after a couple shots of vodka. <laughs> they get you drunk first. Then they strap you down with their leather. <laughs> so, anyway. But, but to them, like, you know, they, they, they're like, they're big time into this commandment. And, uh, you know, they really push that commandment big time. I don't know what you, what, you women don't have to deal with that. You know, we got to deal with it. Now, Check this out. So you have, so you, you find a wife, you start having kids, you automatically got to work, 
You have no choice. You've got to feed the kids. So now you're going to work. Well, Torah's got you covered. First of all, it's got you covered with marriage. Why? Because marriage has a lot of details involved, and we have six tractates of Talmud just dealing with your marriage. So we've got Gittin, we've got Kedushin, we've got Ksuvis, we've got, uh, we've got uh, Sota Shalonida, we've got um, Yavamois Shalonida, we've got um, Nidorim, like we've we got six tractates of our Talmud are just dedicated to your married life. Nothing to do with kids. Well, there's plenty to do with kids, but we won't deal with that right now. And then, and then you've got to go to work. Well, work has a lot of issues that come up. There's a lot of discrepancies. And you've got to house your family somewhere. And that gets to real estate. Well, then you've got three tractates of Talmud that are called the Bubba's, which means the gates. You've got the first gate, the middle gate, and the third gate. First gate is all about... Um, all about damages that happen between people. What are those called in, in secular law? Court? Torts. It's tort law. The second commandment has to do with business law. And the th- Sorry, the second gate is business law, and these are big, thick tomes of Jewish law. And the third one is real estate law. So you understand that the Talmud's just taking care of this commandment, because you've got to get married to have this commandment. And there's six tractates of Talmud just on this commandment. And then there's several more in dealing with financial issues between man and, and his fellow. Altogether, you're, um, you're taking on tremendous responsibility, but that responsibility, as I, we said before, brings the meaning of life. Now, I, I titled this class Birth Control because most people aren't planning on having you know, this kind of family, meaning in the Hasidic community, the only family planning we have is that we're planning to have a big family. And, and what happens in the Hasidic world is you just keep having kids and just keep having kids. Now, responsible Hasidim have as many kids as they can handle and then they stop. They have as many kids as they can handle and then they stop. And there's some who, who have as many kids as they can handle. This is what we did. We had as many kids as we could handle and then one more. Because that one more was just so that just in case God was like, the, meaning, uh, the, we were so scared that God would like show us a face after our lives and say, what about this one? You didn't have this one. And he was coming down the pipes, man. That kid was like, he was lined up. He was lined up. And, and you just chose out, you know, and, and he, let us show you his life and what he would have contributed growing up in the Glazer house. Because if, if you're growing up in the Glazer house, you know, that doesn't mean you're just a citizen of the planet. It means you're a solution to this world's problems. And who says, you know, how are we supposed to say when? You know, how are we supposed to say when it's over? You know, especially in our house. But the truth is, every Jew, no matter where you're born, your solution, God only created our nation to be the planet's solution. That's what we're here for. And even if you never did anything, the very fact that you keep the commandments is, is, is a healing balm to the planet. Even any commandment you do, you just light Shabbos candles, you're, you're like fixing the world, you give a little tzedakah, fixing the world, keeping Shabbat, you're fixing the world. Anything you do, you're fixing the world. In our house, we add to that a lot. We believe that you have to actually get up and get out and go make a difference. And, and that's how we, we've built our kids. And so we were afraid to see another kid. 
upstairs that we were going to have, but we didn't because we chose out. So we went exactly to where we couldn't handle any more, and we had one more. <laughs> and and I now that's not for everybody. I, I think that most people should have until they can handle, and not one more. Yeah. When you say you can't handle anymore, are you saying financially? No, no, only emotionally. The mitzvah of having kids is nothing to do with finances, because there's a great principle in life. Here's a nice seat for you, by the way. A great principle in life that I'd like to teach you guys. And that is that um, our job is what, God's job is how. Can we say that together? Our job is what, God's job is how. Okay, you ready? One, two, three. Our job is what, God's job is how. Uh, You didn't move your lips over there. Let's try that again together. Uh, I'll repeat it first. Our job is what, God's job is how. Ready? Our job is what? God's job is how. She still didn't move her lips. One last time together. One, two, three. Our job is what? I'm not even looking. God's job is how. And But you got to get that. Think about your life. Everyone, just think about your life. Have you noticed that that it's been incredibly orchestrated? Like, like someone is stringing together all the details. Because you can't. No, none of us can. I mean, I know some of you think you got everything all buttoned up. but But you have no idea what could have happened or what's going on or all the different ways you're getting saved all the time. And our job is only what? You get, and I'll tell you something else about what. Your job is not just what, it's also to commit to it. Get behind it with everything you got. Put all your money in that basket. Just get fully into something. And what happens is now you've tied God's hands behind his back because you're in. You know, that's the beauty of the words I'm in. Because once you're in for anything, Anything you say I'm in for, what can he do? He's stuck. He has to fulfill. And he'll figure out the how. So our job's only what? I live off what now for I don't even know how many decades I've been doing this. And with really crazy plans, plans that anyone who's even a little bit practical would tell me that is just impractical. And every single time it works out. So much so that I trust it implicitly now. I don't even think about it. All I think about is what? I get committed to it. I get totally behind it. I burn all my bridges away from it. You know, it's like hiking in Joshua Tree National Monument. Anyone here been hiking in Joshua Tree National Monument? Anyone done mushrooms in Joshua Tree National Monument? <laughs> so, in Joshua Tree National Monument, there's, it's like, I mean, I don't know what God was up to that day, but when he created Joshua Tree National Monument, like, he just like, you know, you ever made, you ever played in sand where the water comes up and you squeeze it out of your hands and it makes all kinds of cool structures with just the wet sand coming down? What? Sometimes. So, anyway, the so the Joshua Tree National Monument. By the way, I believe it's a mitzvah to see it, not from the six thirteen mitzvahs, but maybe one of them is to love God because anyone who sees it has love and awe, which fear in God is also awe. You have love and you have awe. Love for just the most incredible thing you've ever seen and f- awe from the fact that it was created. Where is it? What? Where is it? It's, it's near Palm Springs. Anyone been to Palm Springs? Oh, you're busted if you say yes because you didn't go to Joshua Tree. So it's okay. The next time you go to Palm Springs, hit Joshua Tree. It's a 45-minute drive and you're in, you're in Ghana, the Garden of Eden. It's between Vegas and yeah, well, it's near Palm Springs, 45 minutes. I mean, 40 minutes. Yeah, it's really, really cool. 
And there's some weed dispensaries right nearby, but I guess you're, you should know about that. So anyway, Joshua Tree National Monument is really an incredible place. I remember one time I was with my old friends. I went, went out there and went to Joshua Tree with all my friends. And I'm like this Hasidic guy. And they're all these like, you know, they're like, these guys are like high tech, you know, like environmentalist executives today. You know, they're all, they got in early on the, because we were radical environmentalists as, as uh, teens and college days. And today they're all like executive type guys. And the, anyway, we were out Joshua Tree, and all my buddies are like divvying out the magic mushrooms. And, and when they came to me, they're like, I'm like, where are mine? They're like, you have God. <laughs> I'm like, okay, no mushrooms for me. So anyway, when we get to these giant, incredible shapes of like, you know, some which are a thousand feet high, you know, they were, they would kept saying, it's so big, it's so big. And I was stand, kind of standing behind them going like, they think that's big. How about the creator? of it like the one who made it that's way bigger and so then I finally realized why did God make this stuff because I used to think I don't know if any of you have ever thought to go, go to yeshiva if you ever do go to yeshiva like full time or ladies you go to sem and you like pull in big time to yeshiva so when you're in yeshiva I don't know what it is but you forget why you said you'd stay and then you're in there like months later and you're like going to bed at night going like what the hell am I doing here and, and, then you're, and then you start thinking to yourself, well, God created all these beautiful places. Isn't it so I should leave Yeshiva and go see them? And so I had this question for a really long time. Why did God make these beautiful places if I'm supposed to be sitting in Yeshiva? And then I realized it with my friends on Mushrooms is that, is that <laughs> when they were saying it's so big, I was saying, whoa, you think that's big? How about the one who made it? That's big. And then I realized that those mountains are to give us awe. If you didn't have the Swiss Alps, if you didn't have Yosemite, if you didn't have Joshua Tree, you know, if you didn't have the Himalayas, how would you know awe? How would you know awe? If you didn't have rabid dogs or pit bulls walking around, how would you know fear? If you didn't have a love of your mother and your siblings and your father, how would you know love? Like all these things, we're just living in one giant parable for our relationship with this being. I mean, after all, this is an illusion. I mean, this isn't really real. All you have to do is ask any physicist or any Kabbalist. They'll tell you that this world's made of light and it's just being refracted and it's vibrational. We're just in extreme vibrational realities here. But none of this is actually physically 100% absolute reality. None of it is. It's all subordinate to some kind of vibrational you know, digital reality that's creating us. And, but you have to have it to have those, that relationship. Relationship, there's something called relationship. But relationship has love and fear. No one here in this room has ever had a relationship that didn't have love and fear. Hey, you know, just move on. Whereas, whereas marriage, there's tremendous love and tremendous fear. Because the only thing worse than a bad marriage is divorce you want your life really to go to hell get divorced you know like like as hell as someone's marriage could be divorce is bigger hell and so there's tremendous fear and any relationship that has love and fear which is every relationship except for the one i mentioned um whenever the relationship has love and fear so then it's built to last it's it's great and so too with god but how would you have god only created you in this place for the relationship with god 
but he gives you family for love as in a parable of love and he gives you things to have fear of for a parable of fear which is also directly related to awe which I spoke about in Joshua Tree now why are we talking about Joshua Tree can someone remind me how we got to Joshua Tree oh yes I know why we're talking about Joshua Tree so Joshua Tree when you're hiking in Joshua Tree you know, you're, it's all rock faces and it's cliffs and it's, you're truly, you're really kind of freestyling it around, and you're bouldering, let's say bouldering is probably the right term, you're bouldering the whole time. Well, you get to situations where you're really high up, like you, you're up already a thousand feet and you get on, you're rock, walking on your trail or there's no real trail, it's boulders, but you, all of a sudden you realize the only way to continue is you have to jump down five feet and with a crevice in the middle. Well, what does that mean if you jump down five feet with a crevice going down a thousand feet? What does that mean? You're gonna make it. No, you're going to make that. You're, it's not a big crevice. You're just jumping down five feet. Can't go back Excellent. You can't come back. You can't come back. If you jump down there, you're, you're in. You're committed. And there's no way out. And we, when we used to climb in Joshua Tree, there was no cell phones. No one knew where you were. You know, you were camping. In Joshua Tree, or you're visiting from Palm Springs for the day. And, but you want to know something? The rule is in Joshua Tree is there's always a way. Everyone try those words. There's always, there's always a, way. a way. Say it. There's always a way. There's always a way to, 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 in Joshua Tree, and you actually can jump down. Now, there's been times where it took us 45 minutes to figure out what that way was, meaning we're sitting there going, like, we're going to die. You know, and then finally we like cracked our heads on it and just not literally and figured out how to do it. And we always got out. We always got out. There was one point so intense that we really had no way out. We just couldn't find a way out. And so I had to go to the bathroom. So I went into this kind of, you know, like just this little under cavey thing. And I get inside there and I saw like if I just climb up to this thing a little bit, I can slither through. So I slithered through. And it led out into a whole other cavern area. Anyway, a thousand feet later, we walked out the bottom. Meaning we hiked a thousand feet underground. Bouldering. It's all boulder upon boulder. We were bouldering underground. And that was like the one time we didn't find a way. There was a way under, like in the mountain, that we had been on top of. And it's just incredible there. So there's always a way, but God wants to see you jump that five feet. God wants to see that you're in, really that you're really in. And one of those ways of being really in in life is marriage. Marriage is like, you're in, and it's a tremendous responsibility, but having those kids is a big being in. And financially, that's where we're at, because you ask, this is all your question, really, is you ask, like, how are we supposed to afford those kids? And the answer is, our job's only what? God's in charge of those kids. And each kid comes with a certain mazel, teach you a little Kabbalistic reality. When you have kids, meaning every person has the amount of food they're going to eat when they're born, meaning while they're still in vitro, God's already got it figured out what that's, how that kid's got to survive. I mean, think about it. God's taking care of every ant in the Amazon right now. And he's also taking care of every anteater with those ants. And, and the lion's going to eat the anteater, and everyone's going to get fed, and, and it's all going to work out. And God's in charge of that. 
But when it comes to human beings, we need cooperation. God wants us to be cooperating with each other. And that's why we have the bubbles, the gates, and when people are not cooperating properly. So we, we have recourse. We have legal recourse when people are not cooperating with, with uh, tzedek. I don't know how to use that. There's a fancy English word for tzedek. But people aren't properly... What? Yeah, being righteous with each other, but um, there's a there's a better word. Just there's an even better word. Equity, equity, equity. People aren't being equitable with each other. Equality with each other. Anyway, so the Torah law handles that. Every person is born already just like the aardvark and just like the anteater and just like the lion with their meals prepared. It's just that God wants us to play this cooperation game with each other and synergize. And so if you have great ideas, hire somebody with, lo- with money that you borrowed so that we're all cooperating and we're all like, we're, we're not being the one-man band guy, but we're actually, and we're not selling our painting in the last year of our life, but we're actually working with each other. And God wants that kind of synergy going on. And the... So when you have these kids, they're already taken care of. It's not your problem. It's really not your problem. Your job is just to have them. But there's another issue, and that is emotionally. You have to have the emotional capacity for the kids. So if you don't have the emotional capacity, you have no business having them. And so I would say even the commandment of having one or two children, or three or four children, uh, even that commandment, it's questionably inc- incumbent upon someone who those kids are going to get messed up because they don't have what it takes to make healthy kids. So you understand? Like, we're not here to populate the world with more problems. We are here to populate the world with more solutions. And so by us, while they're doing it, but, they, but Gentiles having kids is creating overpopulation with a lack of resources for the planet. And they have no commandment to be solutions. A Gentile can opt to be a solution. They can take their life and say, hey, I got my life. Like, what, what if I just spent my life giving? You know, how good would that be? Whereas, whereas Jews, you are a solution. The very fact that you are a Jew, you're a solution. And you've got to have kids. And you've got you to gotta help solve this world's problems. You've got to heal this planet. We are here, literally, to heal the planet. So... The, so anyway, but the bottom line is that's only if you got the emotional wherewithal to do it. Financially, that's on God, but emotionally, that's up to us. Now, um, I'm going to close this class out because I went over time, I see, because people are coming in for the next class. Um, may everyone be blessed to find their true soulmate, which we discussed Sunday. May we all be blessed to have ourselves sexually powerful. And that was yesterday's class, which was about circumcision. The covenant with God is right there, so we have our personal power back. And we're not, we're not bossed around by sexual impulse. And today's class was all about the meaning of life that comes from having children and building a family and cooperation and, and that our job is what? God's job is how. Thank you very much. Shalom, everyone. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.